Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. There's no doubt we're living in tumultuous times. We're living in times of unknown, times of crisis, and and and. As much as I want to say it's the worst it's ever been, I have a feeling every generation probably says that. But I'm going to say it because it's the worst I've ever seen it be. And that's enough, right? Like that, that means something. It's, it's shocking and maybe even terrifying to realize that, I mean... If we're just honest, I, you didn't come to get depressed today, but just, there's hope. But we're on the, on the precipice of World War III. A 10 times COVID variant. What? Economic collapse, election fraud, socialism and communism knocking at our door. That means the state tells the church what we can talk about. That ain't gonna happen. A complete divide between light and dark, goodness and evil. A complete lack of trust in journalism and media, outright lying, manipulating, destruction, and brokenness almost at every level of society. Abuse of power and influence in the church and out. Heinous and evil things that used to not even be spoken about are now celebrated and qualified as someone's choice. A government that has zero trust by the people and a deconstructed church of so-called Christians that calls practicing your faith being a fundamental extremist. To get that label, all you have to do is just do what Jesus said to do. When when you live in, in the ways and will of Jesus, I promise you in the next five years, taking communion will be absolute terror. Silly things, like things that you just go, what? And mind you, listen, Isaiah was clear. Woe to you, a nation that would call evil good and good evil, that would take the sweet things and make them bitter. Think about that. I mean, I heard a guy say this on a a talk a couple people sent me yesterday, and I just went, man, that's fascinating. Marriage is sweet, but when you manipulate marriage, you make it a bitter taste in the mouth of a nation. And all of a sudden you go, what is happening? We have a a, a compelling and broken and, and, and just an onslaught pressing down on the life of a believer. I mean, this deconstructed church thing is about to make my head explode. Cause I just, it's like, what are we, what are you talking about? We're taking things that have been agreed upon by church fathers and Orthodox Christianity for thousands of years and we're throwing it out the window because of an emotional posture and position that you've taken on a society that's destroyed. It makes no sense and yet we 
We say it with unction and a couple clever quibs and all of a sudden, now people listen because you have a check mark by your name? We're in trouble, that's a problem. And yet in the middle of a world like this, Jesus' word to the believer is true. We're called to be light. We're called to love. We're called to stand up for the broken and yet love our enemies. Does that sound like a juxtaposition to anybody else? Like like there's a tension there because I go, I got to stand up for the broken and I have to love my enemies. And and there's a tension here to go, God, how do I do that? How how am I going to step into that? We've got to look at at this moment and say, man, we've got to bless those who curse us and lay down our life for a brother. And and, and I think it's okay in this moment to admit that's a tension and that's difficult. That's, That's hard to wrap your head around. How am I supposed to do that? The good news is you and I aren't the model for what we're gonna look at for how that's to be done because we're gonna mess it up. Maybe you won't. I'm gonna mess it up. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna err too far one way or the other, and 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 listen. Many times it's about balance. It's about going hey one or the other, or more importantly than balance, it's about hearing the spirit of God in every situation to do that which He's called you to do above all else. And and so we've got to realize that this is a this is hard. When do I say something versus when do I turn the other cheek? And this is the moment in history where we need biblical clarity about what the whole counsel of God's word would say to us. How do we prepare for potential confrontations that will come our way? The the, the scripture is abundantly clear. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have troubles. You will have, have, that word is ellipsis. It, it, It means you will have bearing down weights upon you. The, the, the visual image I've told y'all before is, is like standing between two rocks that are, that are scraping, you know, and I'm offended by what Chattanooga, they call it the fat man squeeze. Uh, but there's, there's this thing where they squeeze through the rocks and they want you to feel the pressure that there's barely enough room to get through. That's the picture of ellipsis. That's the picture. There will be a bearing down weight upon you in this life but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So so we look at that and we go, okay, we need biblical clarity because confrontation's coming our way. I'm not trying to provoke this morning. I'm trying to invoke courage to, to know this is true. We will have troubles in this life. We're gonna have tension in this life. Our kids are gonna have tension in this life. So we ought to prepare rather than not because prepared people aren't scared people. When you prepare for, you know, the only time I'm really scared to get up here and do this is when I don't prepare. So I'd like always prepare. Because getting up in front of a room like this and trying to just free flow it is just not in my wheelhouse. So so I go, man, I don't wanna be scared. I don't wanna be afraid of what's to come. So I'm gonna prepare myself. The way you prepare is not to build a bunker. It's to get into the word and then maybe build. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) How do we prepare for these, these confrontations? How do we seek peace but love people enough to tell the truth? 
Because at the end of the day, this isn't as hard as we make it. Take away people from political positions. Take away away the way they've hurt you. And if you saw someone walking off a cliff and you cared about them, like this is such a old analogy. It's been used so many times, but like take away all the brokenness of humanity. If, If I'm walking towards the edge of a cliff, it isn't loving to say, I don't wanna offend him, so I'm gonna let him fall. Right, nobody in here would go, no, I mean, listen, I don't wanna offend you, so do what you wanna do. It's like, if you see it and I don't, it is loving to violently interrupt my progress. It's loving to say, I'm gonna interfere because you don't understand where you're going is imminent danger. It's loving to intercept someone before they fall into that brokenness. And yet in our world, we've got, well, see, the problem is, is we care more about ourselves and our reputation than we care about the well-being of others. We care more about the way we'll be seen, the way we'll be thought about, the way we'll be spoken about. We're so worried about us that we stopped caring about the eternal salvation of souls around us. What keeps us quiet in a moment of opportunity to share the gospel of good news of Jesus is I don't want it to be weird. Huh? If someone's dying and going to hell, it's right to tell them Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through him. It should be a normal part, a normal cadence of your rhythm to go, I'm gonna share the good news of the gospel. Staying silent in the midst of of a world running to hell is not okay. It's the exact same thing as walking off the cliff and saying nothing. I'm not saying run out of here and start a fight with non-believers. I'm not saying to bully people. I'm not saying to abuse people. I'm not saying to hurt people. But telling people the truth and them getting offended by it is not hurting them. We've got to cut it with that definition. That's burnt and broken. So we've got to start letting the word of God tell us what's true instead of the culture telling us how to interpret the word of God. Telling the truth is loving contrary to popular belief. Making people feel good about evil is actually hate contrary to popular belief. Love is not love. Love is actually sacrifice. Hell is actually real and people actually go there. God is not whatever you want him to be and your emotions don't trump truth. Jesus is the only way to God and he actually cares about your life. And so a solution that we might look for is what does the Bible tell us about how to live in the tension of of tell the truth and love and love your enemies? How do we we look for a model and and a guide to tell us how to navigate a culturally complex world? A couple weeks back, Pastor Steve introduced us to a character in the book of John named John the Baptist, not to be confused with the author of John, which is John. A different John. But this character, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is a, is a monumental figure and oftentimes kind of looked at as a fundamental extremist. 
He went out in the woods and he, he ate bugs sometimes. I'm not saying you have to do everything John did. But John the Baptist, he's an eccentric, prophetic man. He pushed against societal norms and he pushed against the established government and even kings themselves. He was the embodiment of what it means to stand for righteousness no matter what the cost is. And today I wanna look at John's interrogation by a group of religious leaders that we find in our next part of the text. As we continue on our journey through the book of John, we run into this moment where John the Baptist is confronted by the societal leaders, the religious leaders of the day. And and they come to him and they want to to ask him these questions. They start interrogating him in a way. And and, and this is not like somebody from church had a house call and said, hey, I wanna talk to you about a couple of things. These were the guys that were running the show. These were the guys that were able to get Jesus crucified. So these are the guys who are, they're seriously in power and influence over the religious state that that they're living in. Of course, Rome overruled it, but, but they had some influence. They had some power. And they send this interrogation committee to John. First, I wanna read to you what John's was all about. And then I'm gonna read to you the interrogation. So first it says in first John, I'm sorry, in John 1, 1, 6 through 8, It says this, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So let me clarify really quick John's role, kind of boiled down. What is his role? His role is a witness for Jesus. I would just remind you, think about the power that witnesses have in our culture. Think about how much power and influence in a, in a uh, think about in a trial scenario. How influential is an eyewitness? Massive if they have credibility, right? It, it, it can completely change the outcome of a situation. John is a witness to Jesus, a forerunner to Christ. He's saying, there's one coming who, who I'm not even fit to tie the sandal of. We'll, we'll say that later, it was a spoiler. But the, but the truth is, is he goes, man, this is him. I'm here to witness, I'm here to testify, I'm here to tell the truth of the one who is to come. And and so John has a, a, a prophetic meaning and purpose in his life. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He's clarifying the light. And so then we go on and we see this confrontation arise in verses 19 through 28. It reads like this, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Remember that question, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered them, no. And then they said to him, who are you that we might give an answer to those who sent us? Clarify your identity to us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And as the prophet Isaiah said, Now, those who were sent from the Pharisees 
And they asked him saying, so he, he says first, I'm the voice. That's, his, that's who he identifies as. So they go, okay, we don't really understand that, but if I can't get a hold of who you are, let me ask you this next question. Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. A Jewish leader that's coming. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in, in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. You see, there's so much here. We could spend all kinds of different ways and go different angles from this, but, but I wanna look really big picture at what the Pharisees went after. What did they attack? What was the thing they, that, that they, were, they were trying to get a hold of? What was the thing that they, that they came upon John with? Because I think it could be a tell for us about how we can prepare for confrontation that is to come. The impending, the impending pressures that are gonna come upon the life of believers in the days in which we're living, I believe are the same pressures that came against John. The first thing they went after was his identity. And the second thing they went after was his activity. Who are you and what are you doing here? Is a question that will be bestowed upon every believer in their lifetime. And if we don't have a, a biblical answer, my belief is that we will break under the pressure. Who are you and what are you called to do? It is something we better start getting a hold of. We better start embracing and we better start memorizing and doing whatever it takes. So when the time comes, when the pressures of life come down upon us, that we can say, I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do, no matter what may come. We can't be the church in this hour of history that stands down on the call of God on our life because we're afraid of what might come. John lost his head for it. Bottom line, John was the embodiment of what it looks like to stand up against a prevailing culture of wickedness and brokenness and say, I will not conform. And beloved, we have got, like, I know that sounds crazy. Some of you are like, I'm, this is my first day. <laughs> but this is who we are. This is what we believe. We, we've got to be the kind of people that understand those two questions. So the question I'm asking you as your pastor today is what and who defines you? Is it your name, your race, your neighborhood, your job, your success, your failures, your past. You see, depending on who you ask, I'm a really interesting guy. <laughs> if you go all the way back to middle school, I've got a reputation. But then if you went to the guys that knew me in high school, where's Galen? He's skipping today. I had a different reputation. Or college, you don't want to talk to college. Well, or the, or, the, or the, you know, they call it now a gap year. I was just, you know, took a semester off. But 
You don't want to get, you don't want to talk to those guys either because I had a different reputation. But if you go talk to the people who knew me right before Jesus, I have a different reputation to write after Jesus. But none of them define me. They can only tell you the narrative of the story of what I did, but what I did is not who I am. What I did is simply the the byproduct of who I believed I was. Because what I do is a direct outcome of who I believe I am. And so beloved, as we talk about identity, it is imperative that you understand you are not the sum total of your history because no one can define you that is still just around you. It takes something outside of you. And because I said yes to Jesus, my identity changed eternally. I went from being the sum total of my actions, my brokenness and my wickedness, to having a new name, to having a new identity, and to being all things that the scripture refers to, the believer is in Christ. Not of my own merit, not of my own strength, but because Jesus said, I will define you. I'm gonna tell you who you are. No matter what the world says, no matter what my past says, no matter what my failures say, no matter what anything in this world tries to tell me, this is what my identity is because this is the only truth. And so beloved, we have this opportunity. We, we have this necessity If we're gonna be like John the Baptist, then we have got to know clearly who we are because sometimes the world's gonna come to you and say, man, you're less than you think you are. But they weren't doing that to John. They were coming to John saying, you're you're Jesus, aren't you? You're the Christ. They were trying to inflate his ego to get him to admit to something they could kill him for. And he said, no, I'm not. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. He knew exactly who, I was, who he was. He knew exactly who he was called to be and what he was called to do. And so in this season, we've got to get a hold of the fact that nothing else defines you except the word of God. And nothing else dictates your calling in life. And we're gonna talk about the difference between a calling and, 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 and your position, what you do, here in a minute, but I wanna get into this really quickly and this is gonna feel like I am just taking the truck and dumping it on top of you and that's on purpose. I want you to walk out of here today overwhelmed by the truth. Not that you're gonna get every one of these. I hope you write them down. Maybe we'll put them on a postcard or something. They're all over. You can find lists anywhere, but, but I wanna go look at what the scripture says in a huge way overwhelmingly about who you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, Jesus is available to you. If you repent of your sins and you confess him as your Lord and Savior and believe in your heart, you will be saved. But beloved, I'm telling you, if you have said yes to Jesus, there is a defining feature of what the word of God says about you that you will be overwhelmed by. So get ready as we get into who you are in Christ. The first one is this, you are a child of God. You are a friend of Jesus. You're no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. You have been adopted as a son 
or a daughter and a daughter. Beloved, think about this. He's saying, no matter what your current situation, I know what this is like. At, at, at 13 years old, my stepdad adopted me. I know what it's like to get a new name and, and go from being somebody to somebody new. I, I remember that experience. You have been adopted into the family of God. You're no, that means you're not just a second-rate citizen there. You're a son and daughter of God, and he is your father. And, and the scriptures are here. You are an heir of God. Think about how crazy that is, that you have been given the right to be a co-heir with Christ. You're united with the Lord and one spirit with him, saved by grace through faith, not of works. I have peace with God and I'm reconciled to him. I'm loved by Jesus and freed from my sins by his blood. I have been given or forgiven all my sins. That is your identity. You've been forgiven of all your sins. Your sins can't define you if Jesus has forgiven them. So, so he's removed them as far as the east is from the west. That means, yes, we've gotta be the kind of people who repent. Sin is not okay. We can't tolerate it in our life. But that means it's gone. It's out of here. It doesn't define your life anymore. I'm an heir of God. I'm united with the Lord. I'm saved by grace. I have peace with God and I'm reconciled to him. Beloved, I don't know what your prayer life feels like. I don't know what your, but that's the truth. You have peace with God. I'm loved by Jesus and freed from my sins in his blood. I've been forgiven of all my sins. I've been washed, cleaned, sanctified, and justified in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I am a slave of God and a slave to righteousness, a bondservant, a, a doulos, a, a chosen servant in the house of God, that at some point he gave me freedom to go out and do my own thing, but I was been, I've been given the freedom to say, no, it's better in your house than just out on my own. I want to surrender to you. I have that, that that's been given to us. I'm a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family in the house of God. I'm a partaker of Christ. I'm one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I've been bought with a price and I belong to God. I'm dead to sin and alive to God. I'm a new creation. I am a saint. Does that just, that sounds weird to say, but it's true and it ought to be rehearsed by the people of God. You are not a sinner that occasionally, you know, uh, you know sees the good stuff. You're a, a saint of God who, who falls into temptation, who falls into brokenness, but you and your identity is a saint. There's not one letter written to the church that says, this letter is written to the church of one church home, to all the sinners in the house and some of the saints. It's not how he writes. He says to the saint, I'm the, I am righteous and holy in Christ. I have been justified. That means made as just as if I had never sinned. So I'm justified. I, I don't have to do it on my own. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to try to get it. I have it in him. 
I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ and have all I need. I am free forever from condemnation. I am never left alone or forsaken. It is impossible for the believer to be forsaken in Christ. So even though you feel it, it can't be true. So something else has to be happening. So, so I am not forsaken. I am hidden with Christ in God. I have been established and anointed and sealed by God. I have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. God's divine power has given me everything I need for a godly life. I can resist the devil and he will flee from me. God has given me a spiritual weapon and spiritual armor that are mighty through God to destroy enemy strongholds. I am strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I can stand firm against every scheme of the devil. I am confident that the work of God started in me. He will see through to completion. I have victory through Christ. You win. I don't know where you've been or what you're going through, but we win. Somebody's got to grab a hold of that sometime and go, wait, 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 wait. I'm not waiting to see how this shakes out and plays out. I'm just trying to bring as many people across the winning line as I can because we are victorious in Christ. Where am I? I am more than a conqueror. Come on, somebody. Overwhelming victory is mine in Jesus. I have overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world. I overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self, uh, self uh, d- discipline. Reading is hard. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. My name is written in heaven and I have authority to trample over every power of the enemy so that nothing shall hurt me. I can find grace and mercy in my time of need coming before God with confidence. I am assured that all things work together for my good. I am free from any condemning charges against me because God is for me. I am constantly being prayed for according to the perfect will of God by Jesus. I cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I am confident that the good work God has started in me, he'll see through to completion. That's who you are. That's who I am. And again, y'all, there's more. It's overwhelming what the word of God has to say about the new identity you have in Christ. For, For the person who came up last week and said yes to Jesus, for the 50 other people that have said yes to Jesus over the last seven weeks, that's who you are now. That's what the inheritance that you have been given. So believer, why do we walk around like we're a whipped dog? 
Why do we walk around terrified that we're gonna offend somebody? If that's really who you are and you rehearse that in front of the mirror every single morning before you stepped into the office or the marketplace or wherever you're going, before you went to Waffle House to, 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 to get to love on somebody at Waffle House, which you should do, because it's great. <laughs> Beloved, it would change the way you act because identity determines behavior. And so then we've got to go, okay, that's who I am. Now, what am I called to do? John said he knew he was the voice crying out in the wilderness. He was, he was there to bring light to the darkness. John knew who he was, so he was ready to confront the culture, to confront the world that was coming down around him. That's who you are, and it ought to be rehearsed regularly. So then what are you called to do? I want to clarify something. Your job isn't necessarily your calling although they may overlap, but it is the platform by which you are called to perform your calling. So you might be a banker, a plumber, an electrician, uh, uh, an artist, uh, 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 a trash man. Beautiful, we need that, all that. The world needs all those things. Not everybody needs to be a, a preacher. Not everybody needs to be a, a worship director. Not everybody needs to be on staff at a church, but the world needs everyone to do their job and in your job, fulfill the calling of God on your life. Do you, does that make sense here? So, so we're not called to all do the same thing. That would be like, you know, weird and kind of a, I think they call that a cult. No, we're called to do and fulfill the, the thing inside of you that God has made you to do. Man, we need construction workers in the name of Jesus. We need plumbers and electricians and blue collar workers in the name of Jesus. We need bankers that love God and love the church in the name of Jesus. We need architects and, and build. We need all those things that, that, that make the world turn so that we can all stand with one accord and speak the same language and realize that our calling, no matter what our platform, is this that I'm called to make disciples. All of us. No matter what your platform is, you're called to be a disciple maker. The word also says that I'm called to be a minister of reconciliation for God. I'm called to be salt of the earth. And I'm called to be the light of the world. I am chosen by God and holy and dearly loved. I am a member of Christ's body and have a unique role to play in the church. That's who you are. That's what you're called to do. I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. I am a temple, a dwelling place for God. I'm, a, I'm God's coworker. I have been purchased with the imperishable and precious blood of Jesus. I can approach God with freedom, confidence, and boldness through Jesus alone. I'm a child of light, not of darkness. So I, I bear the light. I don't, I don't meddle in darkness. That's not what you do. That's not who you are. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's me. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit and fruit that'll last forever. So man, whatever you find yourself doing tomorrow, bear fruit. And you only can bear fruit when you're connected to the vine. And you can't just will it to be. Apple trees don't just sit out in the field and just... 
You stay connected. You stay, stay tight. You stay on the vine and you allow the fruit to flow through you. So you don't go out tomorrow and just go, all right, God, bear it. I am God's workmanship created to do good works. I'm a partaker of God's divine nature. I was chosen by God before the creation of the world. I am an expression of life in Christ because he is my life. I'm a holy partaker in a heavenly calling. Somebody just get that on you tomorrow. You are a holy partaker in a heavenly calling. No matter where your life finds you tomorrow, that's what you're called to do. So so press into heaven and let heaven press into you and let the word get on you and start seeing the world through the word. And all of a sudden you're gonna find yourself operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, animated and empowering you to do things you never thought you could do on your own. I'm a branch of the true vine and a channel of life, his life to others. See, beloved, this is who we are. And this is what we're called to do. No matter where life takes us, some of us, you know, you're gonna get out of here and tomorrow you've got a busy day and you've got an unbearable week and travel schedules and this and that and, and, and good things are coming and hard things are coming and difficult things are coming and exciting things are coming. And all of that's the reality of life. But what I'm in, in exhorting you to do today is to put on this identity and realize that nothing gets to sneak in and steal it. Nothing gets to kind of get in and manipulate it. Nothing gets to go in and also add to it because that's ultimately what the, what the world tries to do, right? I, I, I'll give you all those things, but I also want you to know you're a knucklehead. You're fill in the blank, a failure, a mistake. Your, your parents' bad behavior, your, your culture's defining feature, your none of that. You are whatever Jesus says you are and what the word of God declares you are. Nothing more and nothing less. And when we grab hold of that reality and that truth, like John the Baptist in the face of the interrogation, we will stand tall against a culture that needs the light of the world more than we've ever seen it before. And we will be able to say that which we need to say to point people to the one they need more than anything else. And we will prevail because we're more than conquerors in Christ. And we will see victory we'll see revival and we'll see awakening because God's not done with the church and God's not far from the church, but God loves the church. He wouldn't give up on his bride and so he's not giving up on us. So beloved, pray with me. Father, we ask that you would impart this list and all the more that the scripture would say to us that we would grab a hold of our identity in Christ as you define us, not as our world defines us, and that we would be oppositional to, to unrighteousness, that we would be pursuing that which is good, right, true, and eternal, and we would let the things of this world grow strangely dim. And God, we ask that you would do this in us that we might 
the part we can't do ourselves. God, sow it into our soul. Write it on the tablet of our heart, as Faith said this morning, that we are chosen for such a time as this. So God, go before us, lead the way, and do what only you can as we inherit the identity we have in Christ and the calling that you have on our life. We bless you and honor you and ask you one more time to sow this deep in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Look forward to seeing you really soon.